I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. data promises to provide insights that lead to better therapies, change how we treat diseases, and improve outcomes for patients. One of the limits of realizing the benefits from all of the health information we're swimming in is the lack of access to high-quality data in a usable format. Verona Health has built partnerships with medical societies to provide access to exclusive real-world data from a network of more than 20,000 clinicians. We spoke to Sujay Jadhab, CEO of Verona Health, about the potential for real-world data to improve our understanding of health, how Verona is addressing challenges these data can present, and the areas of medicine on which it's focused. Sujay, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny, for allowing me to join the buy report. We're going to talk about real-world health data, Verona Health, and its efforts to provide actionable insights from this data to improve care to patients. Perhaps we can begin with the data landscape today and how it's changing. We're swimming in data, but it's not always accessible or formatted in ways that it can be best exploited. What's the opportunity today to make use of real-world data and advance therapeutic development and improve outcomes for patients? Yeah, no, great, great question. You know, and I would say that when you, when, uh, when you look at data and the overall opportunity, um, I'll say I think the industry, you know, particularly the last couple of decades has, has done a really good job of digitizing uh, healthcare data, patient data. And while um, a lot of people critique it, I think we've made slow and steady pro- uh, progress on that. And a lot of reasons why it's been slow and steady. Part of it is privacy reasons. Uh, part of it is technology adoption reasons. But uh, but happy to say that I, I think overall um, we're in a in a general good state in terms of um, at least having to digitize a lot of the healthcare data out there. I'd say that um, what has definitely uh, helped, particularly in the uh, in the last decade or so, is sort of the advent of the HR systems there and and being sort of the system of record for documenting. You know what happens in the uh, in the office of uh, of the physician, um, and and sort of with with that now we're documenting what happens there, um, patient uh, uh, care dynamics in a in a much better way, um, and then that has helped allow sort of the advent of um, actually real world data being available uh, to help uh, improve quality of care um, and insights across the drug life cycle, and so. You know, we're seeing sort of an acceleration um, in terms of leveraging real-world data um, to help improve quality of care um, across all different types of dimensions um, in the the office of the physician to also leveraging this data to help uh, provide insights across the drug life cycle, everything from helping out in clinical trials um, around the way that you uh, select sites, uh, patient recruitment, um, the way you launch uh, particular drugs to ensure 
that uh, they're very, very impactful, as well as to uh, ensure and make sure uh, that uh, the drug is very, very, very safe. Uh, there are no issues uh, once you launch the drug as well. And so, you know, what we are seeing now with real-world data, um, a better quality, uh, a better timeliness um, with uh, the data access we have uh, to help provide, you know, value across that whole overall continuum from, uh, from healthcare to, uh, to life sciences. You mentioned the digitization of health records, but are, are we seeing this with other data streams that can be integrated with and, and overlaid on, on that data that's really opening up uh, the potential to, to really get new insights out of all this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we, you know, and it's an area that we focus on um, with regards to real data, which is um, uh, ingesting sort of what is available in the HR system, which is, you know, patient uh, care dynamics overall. Um, and so that's sort of the core data that, uh, that we're actually integrating into. But what we are seeing um, and what we are actually doing is augmenting that with other data sets to tell sort of a holistic uh, story with regards to the particular area that, uh, that we're focused on. So other data types are like claims data, for example, that's a, that's a data source. Uh, that uh, that we are leveraging to augment the uh, HR data that we bring in. Um, we're also bringing in imaging data as well, um, and that's very exciting given that imaging data is actually, a, in, in a lot of ways, an unbiased sort of real-world data source as well, uh, but that's another data source that we're bringing in. Uh, genomic data as well is starting to be more and more available. Um, you know, as, uh, as there are registries out there, patients are getting more proactive about providing that type of data. Um, and we're also leveraging that. Um, and then finally, I would say sort of social media data as well. Um, this is a, this is an area that, um, you know, different parts of the overall continuum in the life sciences, um, are, are leveraging in different ways. And, you know, for example, in the clinical trial area, they're leveraging it for helping out targeting and improving recruitment of trials there as well. Um, you know, as well as understanding sort of the dynamics of, uh, you know, patients with a particular condition out there how they're doing in a, in a broader social setting, you know, as well. So these are sort of the, the other data sources, which, you know, put an, under the category of real-world data that, uh, that are starting to leverage a lot more uh, to help provide insights. There are a few challenges that come to mind with real-world data. Even though we have these electronic health records, oftentimes they're built to suit a very specific purpose and not necessarily designed to exploit the data for, for a research point of view. Uh, there's also an issue with the problem of data silos and, and getting access to data. Uh, Verona's taken an interesting approach to addressing these challenges by partnering with medical societies. What data are you able to access and, and what's the range of data you have? Yeah, thanks, Danny. You're right. Um, and, and definitely, yes, um, you know, the consistency of the data, um, you know, from EHRs um, is, is definitely all, all over the map. Um, I think you highlighted sort of one of our key approaches, which is we partner with the societies in the three therapeutic areas that we are currently focusing on, on ophthalmology and neurology and urology. Um, and that's key to sort of our approach around generating um, insights out of, uh, out of this real-world data. What we get with the, um, the partnership that we have with the society is, is definitely credibility and understanding that therapeutic area, um, them helping guide us on areas that we should focus on 
um, you know, from a research perspective. Um, and secondly, what we also get with this is they are sort of in a in a lot of ways sort of an accumulation of the uh, the voice um, of the physician. Um, and what they have done actually in each of the therapeutic areas that we focus on, they've built out a registry, which in essence um, is uh, is an entity which the um, the members of um, of the particular society contribute their data to that. Um, so that allows us to get the data um, at, a, at a good scale, which is extremely important, um, you know, to provide the insight that we we need to do. You know, the type of data that we are bringing in um, is generally anything within the EHR. So there's structured data. So particular conditions, which are just, you know, um, described by ICD-10 codes. Um, but also what we are finding in certain therapeutic areas like, like neurology and urology, um, they may have not as many ICD-10 codes which describe certain conditions. So we're also going um, and ingesting the unstructured data, uh, mainly the physician notes as well. So we're, we're bringing that um, as a data source in. Um, you know, we actually augmented, as I mentioned a little bit earlier on, you know, with other types of data sources like claims data, um, you know, and, and potentially imaging data as well. Um, and then we go through a curation process where we output these, um, what we call them Q-data modules, which in essence are um, cohorts of patients with a particular disease type, which then can be leveraged um, by life sciences companies to uh, help improve research, um, you know, overall. So while the core data that we are bringing in is EHR data. Um, we also, via the society relationships, have access to other data types like uh, like imaging data, and we're also extending that further into other data types like uh, like claims data and genomic data as well. And and you mentioned physician notes. Does that imply you're using some kind of natural language processing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're spot on there, Danny. Um, what we're we're doing is we are, um, you know, leverage natural language processing techniques um, to actually ingest the physician notes. Uh, we then um, have a set of machine learning models um, that uh, we have deployed uh, by uh, each disease area within the therapeutic areas uh, that we focus on. Um, and then these models, we train them with the data that we are getting, um, the unstructured data and structured data, by the way, um, to then help come up with um, a structured data cohort, which is described by key medical variables, which are important to describe that particular disease. Um, but, you know, core to that is, le you know, leveraging NLP techniques with machine learning models. Um, you know, what we are also doing is looking to, you know, extend that uh, to also see how we can leverage large language models as well as part of the overall curation process. Um, you know, we're leveraging LLMs um, in terms of the way that we help come up with initial medical variables. Um, once we set the initial models, um, then we're leveraging LLMs to um, accelerate the way that we can actually curate the data at a much higher velocity, um, uh, you know, to help uh, sort of bolster up the uh, patient cohorts uh, that are a result of this overall curation process. And how much work goes in on the front end in terms of standardizing the data and validating it? Yeah, significant amount of effort. Um, you know, we are currently integrating into 50 different EHR systems. Um, so like the big ones like Epic, Cerner, um, you know, as ones which are specific to the therapeutic areas. 
that we where we focus on. Um, as you can imagine, with 50 different EHRs, uh, the way that you integrate into them, um, you know, uh, can be uh, very, very different and very, very complex. There are standards out there, like the FHIR standard, um, you know, but the way that some of the EHR companies um, leverage those standards is, is very, very different, you know, as well. So, you know, we've built a very large infrastructure over the last four to five years um, to actually integrate into all these different EHR systems. Um, we then take that data. We then go through uh, an extensive normalization process there where we do initial standardization. We actually then um, provide an output of that back to the, um, the physicians. Um, we allow the physicians to look at their own patient data. Uh, we provide that in a structured fashion. Um, and uh, so it allows them to understand sort of quality of care metrics with regards to the patient cohort that they have. Um, which is sort of one of the key areas uh, that we want to focus on, which is improving quality of care. Um, we then provide an output of this data to um, societies um, in a more aggregated fashion. Uh, societies uh, like to do a lot of research. Uh, they work with the FDA, um, a lot of different areas there. So we actually provide a, a data output to, to them to, to help there. Uh, and then finally, uh, you know, we provide uh, a data output in a de-identified fashion uh, to life sciences companies to help drive insights there overall. But, you know, a lot of the infrastructure, you know, that we have built over the last five to six years goes into integrating into sort of the, the large number of EHR systems that we have and going through and executing on uh, sort of this uh, extensive curation process that we do to take in the real-world data um, and, and provide insights. You joined Verana in 2021 as CEO. You were previously global vice president of the health sciences business unit at Oracle. What attracted you to Verana? Yeah, no, great question. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things which, um, you know, attracted me to, to Verana and, and sort of stepping back, you know, um, in terms of sort of my career, I've spent close to 26 years actually being part of helping lead. Um, technology-based companies focused on healthcare and, and life sciences. And uh, the first company that uh, was part of the early team was a company called Model N. Um, that was a, a company that focused on revenue management, which provide price transparency to pharmaceutical companies, medical device manufacturers. Um, and, and while it was a, a data-centric company, um, it was also very much a process-oriented company as well. So we help manage the overall revenue management process. Um, and then subsequent to that, then I uh, ran a company called Gobalto, which was a clinical trial software company. Um, and you know, what that did was actually help automate the early part of the clinical trial process, uh, which is a process around identifying locations where you want to do the trial, uh, getting those locations uh, up and running uh, for the particular trial, which can take up to 18 months. And in essence, that particular company was sort of like the turbo tax for setting up clinical trials. Um, and what I found actually more broadly, I've seen the last, uh, last couple of decades, um, you know, the industry at large has done a good job of, you know, um, adopting technology solutions, which automate the current processes. I think, it, you know, it does depend on the type of process in terms of the, the extent at which they leverage data um, overall. Um, but that's where I see sort of the biggest, you know, opportunity. And so, you know, when I came across Verana Health, which was in its early inception process, um, that was something which very much attracted 
Me Too, Verona Health. Um, and the type of data that they were focused on was EHR data, which I think is a cornerstone of providing really good uh, ribol data insights there overall. I would say the other thing which was very attractive around Verona is it has a very strong therapeutic focus. Um, you know, at the end of the day, if you really want to provide um, a lot of really compelling value to physicians to help in quality of care, um, understanding the therapeutic area that they focus on is extremely important. Um, you know, if you want to provide a lot of value to um, life sciences manufacturers, you know, um, across sort of the overall drug life cycle, understanding the dynamics of the therapeutic area is extremely important. And so, you know, the, the partnership that we have with the societies, the focus by therapeutic care was definitely an attractive part. Um, you know, finally, I would say, uh, when you look at sort of the people involved in Verana Health, um, I talked a little bit about my background being part of some successful companies. Um, there are other people within the management team, within InvestorBase, um, which were also part of sort of the uh, leading first-generation companies, um, such as, for example, Flatiron as well. So we have a number of people which are involved in Flatiron, which I would say is probably one of the you know, leading first-generation uh, real-world data uh, companies out there as well. And so when, when you put this all together, you know, Verona Health definitely has sort of the, the ingredients to, to really going after this incredible opportunity that we uh, see around taking real-world data and helping drive value around quality of care as well as furthering research. Verona is focused on the areas of ophthalmology, neurology, and urology. Why is the company started in those areas, and are there plans to move beyond them? Yeah, yeah, we we actually started off in ophthalmology, and that was very, very purposeful. Um, you know, as you know, as you know, that we are very focused on therapeutic areas and these specialty areas, um, and we picked ophthalmology first because when you look at the society, when you look at the registry that they're formed, it's probably one of the most mature out there. The um, the Iris registry has close to 70% of all ophthalmologists in the US as part of that registry. So the the market share, the volume of data uh, that they have is 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 the largest in the, in the, in the ophthalmology industry at large. And so we felt that was extremely important um, because um, in order to provide insights in a meaningful fashion. You know, overall, we wanted to ensure, make sure that we focused on sort of a, um, a therapeutic area, uh, which where we had good sort of market share, you know, of, of data. The other thing the, um, the Ophthalmology Society uh, does provide as well, uh, they've done a really good job of maturing, um, you know, a lot of the different conditions that they have in terms of how you categorize them there as well. So the structured data element of ophthalmology is, is very, very high versus other specialty areas. So that's the reason why we started off that, and that's playing out extremely well in terms of our ability uh, to commercialize our business and, and provide uh, really good uh, um, insights as well. Um, we then added on uh, neurology and neurology subsequent to that. You know, part of it was those particular societies and the registries, uh, they were looking for, for a partner as they were starting to uh, mature their particular registries, a data service provider, um, you know, like us to help them out there. Um, and so hence the reason, you know, why we, uh, we, we partnered with them, you know, as well. Um, the, the other thing I'll add is what we are starting to see also is that there's actually an interesting cross-section between sort of certain variables in, in ophthalmology being leading indicators uh, for urology and neurology. And so, you know, things such as visual acuity, 
um, you know, and understanding whether, you know, that can be uh, a good indicator for the early onset of Alzheimer's disease. Um, there's actually interesting, uh, we're starting to do research around, um, you know, the connection between sort of ophthalmic images um, and uh, being an early indicator for bladder cancer as well in the urology space there as well. So, you know, we're, we're starting to see a good cross-section between ophthalmology um, and, uh, and, and some of those variables there being an early indicator for some key diseases in, in urology um, and urology as well. What's the, the business model? Is this a, a subscription service, software service? Who, who are Verona's customers and, and how do you work with them? Yeah. So, you know, from a customer perspective, um, you know, we, we have, uh, firstly, you know, the, uh, the physicians in the specialty areas. Um, secondly, we have the societies. And then, uh, finally, we have the uh, life sciences manufacturers. Um, with both the, um, you know, the physicians and the societies, they actually don't pay, um, for, for our particular service and offering that we provide. Um, and, you know, we provide a quality of care, uh, service offering to um, uh, to the physicians, and we do that for free. We then um, provide sort of an output of the accumulation of the data to the societies to further research. Uh, we actually do that for free. And so the revenue model really picks up with uh, life sciences manufacturers. You know, um, historically, the model has been a little bit more services-oriented, given it was focused on taking our data, a curated, the identified data sets, and providing insights. Uh, to them, uh, to, you know, by 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 different indications for certain projects across the overall drug life cycle, um, we are now have morphed that into being more of a subscription service. So we have uh, data as a service and and uh, software as a service with the insight applications that we're providing on top of the data set as well. So the company now has become a lot more subscription, you know, oriented, um, a lot more recurring in nature. Um, and that's something which helps provide um, better predictability for us, you know, as a, as a business. Um, it also provides flexibility to our life scientist customers in that they can subscribe to the data set and they can leverage it to provide insights and self-service that data set, um, you know, depending on what, what area is important for them um, across uh, the overall drug life cycle. And does the system require any specialized knowledge or, or training for an end user to to make use of? Yeah, it's actually very, very minimal. Um, you know, we we have a dashboard which provides quality of care to um, you know the uh, uh, the physician. Um, that's something we've spent uh, a couple of years designing, ensuring and making sure that it's very much out of the box. Um, and that's something we have have deployed, and so. You know, um, it's very easy to use for, for either physician or their assistants there. Um, you know, with regards to the societies and the pharmaceutical companies there, they can actually, um, you know, take our data either directly. Um, and, and usually in that particular case, um, you know, there's, you know, some requirements, some technical expertise, but usually these type of companies, such as Big Pharma, they have armies of people, you know, data science people, technology people. Um, which uh, which you can take in this data, given they take the data sources from um, from multiple different areas there as well. But you know we do have sort of biotech companies out there which may not you know be that sophisticated and want to take the data directly. And so you know I have a, a services group um, which works with them to take our data sets, um, you know to actually configure it 
uh, to help provide those particular insights there. So, you know, as you can sense, you know, um, for the uh, for the physicians, uh, we very much oriented our product to be a lot more out of the box. Um, you know, for the life sciences companies, uh, we can flex depending on the sophistication of the of the type of customer for that segment. And are, are there ways a, a drug developer can integrate their own data with the data that they're getting from you? Yes, absolutely. And you know, as I said a little bit earlier on, you know, we we do that. We integrate data with other data sources like like claims data, um, like imaging data as well. But we we also have um, some very large life sciences customers out there uh, which have their own data sources as well. Um, and so a lot of them actually uh, integrate, procure data directly, um, you know, from us. Um, and then they actually, you know, augment that with other data types. We, we actually also tokenize our data sets there. So that helps, allows them, uh, to, you know, given it is de-identified data that we have, but we do have a, a token, uh, tokenized uh, system there, which allows them to mix in other data types you know, as well, a lot more efficiently and a lot easier as well. And so, yes, we, we have many customers which, which integrate data, put it into their own data warehouses, uh, because, you know, some of them are working on propriety in, insights, um, and, and that's something that we're happy to support from a flexibility perspective. Your data is used in, in many ways, but I'm wondering if you could walk us through a few of the primary applications and give a sense of how it improves or accelerates the work of the end user and what problems it's solving. The first area I wanted you to talk about is clinical trial design. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, in terms of sort of uh, the output of our data, the QData modules, you know, they're leveraged for different types of insights across that, that overall drug life cycle. And I think you highlight the one which, you know, is, is, is commonly used um, in the trial arena, which is around sort of study design. And so, yeah, we work, work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies where in essence what they do is they use, you know, their inclusion exclusion criteria on our particular Q data sets that we have. Um, and then what that does is it helps, you know, output sort of what the patient population, uh, will be using those inclusion exclusion criteria. Um, and then it allows them to actually change that particular criteria to get a sense before they actually kick up the trial you know, how easy it will it be to recruit the patients. And so that's something which is, is definitely differentiated given historically, as you probably know, you know, the way this process was done, they would design the trial, um, then they'll go to um, sort of a lot of these ac academic medical centers, um, practices which have research experience and say, hey, look, we'd like you to do the trial. Then they'll find out after the fact that uh, they may not have had the patients. So given, given we have uh, the, the number of patients in a de-identified fashion, and we give them the flexibility uh, to to actually use inclusion exclusion criteria. We can circumvent that particular issue, um, and so that that's an area that uh, that we focus on a lot on the trial side. Uh, we do we do a lot of work on you know um, uh, site selection as well. Uh, just recently, in fact, we you know we just finished the project, uh, which is actually more of a rescue trial where they actually were behind on recruitment, um, and so we had five five weeks where they needed. Um, actually kick up recruitment, accelerate it to meet uh, sort of their phase two goals overall. And what we managed to do, and this is sort of in the ophthalmology space in the wet AMD arena, we managed to actually highlight 31 actually sites, which they did not think about originally 
Um, and then we yielded, um, you know, close to that same number in terms of patients for the particular clinical trial um, and allowed them to sort of hit sort of the recruitment goals um, in line with the, with the original plan uh, where they were having issues prior to us doing that. So that's one that we, you know, we do a lot of work. Um, actually, we do a lot of work around rare diseases there, you know, as well, given uh, the large data set that we have. Um, you know, we, we also... Uh, do a lot of work around, you know, sort of in the post-launch uh, arena, understanding sort of the effects of the drug, ensuring and making sure that um, the benefits are, are in line with uh, the actual clinical trial results that we have. And so these, we do a lot of post-marketing studies given, you know, we, we're bringing in this real-world data, patient data, almost close to, uh, close to real times. Um, you know, and so, you know, we've done a number of projects, you know, particularly in the ophthalmology space there uh, with Novartis, as an example, with their Bovu drug there, um, you know, post sort of the launch of that, um, we actually um, took real world data, you know, understood the patients and the benefits that we're getting and found that they were actually yielding the same benefits and helped validate sort of the work that they were doing, um, you know, um, sort of the effects of the, uh, the clinical trial that they had. Um, and also ensuring, making sure that sort of there weren't any safety issues, uh, which was definitely the case with uh, with that particular example as well. Patient recruitment can can be a real stumbling block for drug developers, particularly in the rare disease arena. This is de-identified patient data. How does a company use it to recruit patients? Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, what we do is we have these QData modules, and then we have a solution on top of that. Um, and again, this data is de-identified, which allows a pharma company to uh, use inclusion exclusion criteria to identify which which sites have uh, have the patients. Um, and so they they can understand which sites have the particular patients. They don't know which which were the exact patients, obviously, because it is anonymized. Um, but once they identify which site has it, then they can contact that particular site and say, hey, look, are you interested in this particular trial? Uh, because this could be a good fit for you. Um, if the site then says, um, yeah, this looks interesting, uh, then what we, can, what we do is we help support the site because we have access to the identifiable data because the, the, you know, the physician has access to that. And we can um, you know, direct them to which patients would be a good fit for the particular trial. So we also have an application which, which is physician-facing, which allows them to leverage sort of their EHR data set that they have to understand which patient is, is a good fit for a particular trial. So that whole matching, we, we, we're involved in that matching, so helping the pharma company identify which sites and locations are a good fit for them. Once they identify that, we then can help them uh, work with them in concept to contact the, uh, the tickle site and the physician, the principal in investigator. Um, if they're interested in it, then we can help, you know, them actually identify which uh, which patients are a good fit for them to make it easier um, on the physician to participate uh, in the trial. And this obviously translates into, you know, great efficiency gains for for the physician, which uh, which is extremely important given how busy they are, but also reducing timelines in terms of recruiting and also costs as well. Companies also use your data for their commercial strategies. I know many companies rely on claims data for that, but are you able to get different insights through the data you're using? What role does the Verona platform play with regards to commercial strategies? Yeah, absolutely. And 
You're right. Claims data um, historically has been used a lot for commercial insights overall. And, you know, we actually augment our data with claims data, but we definitely provide a different level of insight. Um, and it's really under the banner of sort of two key themes. Firstly, you know, sort of better quality um, and, and uh, reduced latency, time latency as well. So some of these other data types out there, typically by the time you get the data can be multiple months. And it's very much based on structured data. Um, so I talked a little bit around the data that we bring in is both structured and unstructured data as well. So the level of, you know, sort of medical variables that we're solving for is at a different level to some of these other data sets out there. And so um, that's, that's very helpful, um, you know, in terms of providing sort of good, good commercial, you know, insights as well. Um, and then, you know, particularly in a commercial setting, understanding as quickly as you can, as close to real time, um, you know, how are your market share dynamics, you know, playing out? Um, you know, what are the switch dynamics of that? Um, you know, his, historically, these data sources have taken multiple months. This is something that we can provide within a matter of days there overall. And that's very, very helpful uh, from a commercial perspective, given every day uh, can be very meaningful in terms of how much marketing spend that you have, um, where to direct your resources to get the best impact, you know, out of, um, you know, the particular drug that you have in the particular market. So, you know, th this is something that we focus a lot on, given um, it's it's a key use case for us. And, you know, in, in, in ophthalmology, as an example, we do a lot of work in the anti-VEGF arena um, there. Um, there are a lot of branded, um, you know, sort of um, sort of procedures out there, um, which, you know, we help provide insights. But now with biosimilars coming into market there, um, you know, with them coming in, understanding those switch dynamics, um, helping, you know, um, those biosimilars also understand sort of uh, which areas that they should focus on, where the unmet need is as well. And even the branded ones to understand, you know, where would be the best area for them to focus on um, are some of the type of insights that we provide with regards to our data in a commercial setting. I know you built these these applications with specific purposes in mind, but I'm wondering, have you found companies using your data in any unexpected ways? And are you looking to, you know, expand the applications that, that you are pushing? Yeah, def yeah, we're definitely seeing that. And it's starting to merge a lot more. You know, historically, you know, we were... Uh, the way that we were, you know, leveraging our data for insights were specific projects, right? And in that particular case, it was very purpose-built for the insight the, you know, the um, the pharmaceutical company wanted there. Uh, but now we are providing sort of our data sets in a subscription fashion uh, for them to take and, uh, you know, um, leverage for insights that they feel are more applicable in a, in a more self-service fashion. And so what we are starting to see is, them leveraging it in, in different areas. And, you know, one of the, one of the areas that, you know, we uh, are very excited about and what we want to help partner and focus on as well with regards to our customers in the life sciences sector is, is around clinical trials and external control arms. Um, and so, you know, this is an area that uh, I think is very ripe uh, to where you can leverage real world data, which is in essence uh, for the real, you know, sort of the external control arm sort of simulating, a, in a way, via real-world data. 
Um, and we're starting to see our customers, uh, you know, leverage our um, Q data sets in a subscription format to, to help out in sort of external control arms. And as you can imagine, you know, that can save a lot of money um, in terms of not having to recruit patients. Um, it also facilitates other uh, very interesting models, such as umbrella studies, you know, as well. So that's, that's an area that, uh, that we're very excited about and we're, we're investing a lot. Um, but we're also seeing a lot of our large pharma companies um, also take our data and, uh, and, and leverage um, in a more automated fashion. There's a growing effort to incorporate AI into virtually every aspect of healthcare. What's Verana doing in this area, and where do you see the biggest opportunities to use AI with regards to real-world data? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, across sort of the customer segment uh, that we focus on, um, which is very, very broad, um, we definitely see see a lot of uh, a lot of uses for AI, uh, which can dramatically improve the way people do business. And so, you know, for example, you know, when you look at physicians, um, you know, the way that uh, we actually help uh, surface up sort of the quality metrics. The, the fundamental baseline is machine learning techniques to do that. So, you know, for these physicians, we're helping, you know, provide targeted sort of quality metrics for that particular, uh, for that particular physician uh, to understand how their quality of care is due. And then, you know, that allows them to know where they can focus on to improve quality of, of care. Where we are leveraging AI uh, throughout our overall curation process, I would say the first generation of real-world data companies out there, the way that they did curation was very manual in nature. Um, they would ingest the data. They would then have an army of nurse practitioners which would label that data. Uh, we don't have any of that. In fact, what we do is we actually have more data scientists, machine learning engineers, where we've built these um, disease-specific machine learning models uh, to help curate that data. In essence, bring in the structured data, the unstructured data, um, to help uh, create these medical variables, which allow uh, pharmaceutical companies to accelerate their their overall research there as well. There, um, so you know, there you know, we're using sort of AI to help our customers to automate some of the you know administrative tasks that they're doing, um, and with a, with a key focus on sort of the physicians there. Um, but we're also leveraging AI and machine learning to help in our overall curation process where the you know, resulting benefit is that we can help accelerate research for you know, our society partners, um, also the FDA, um, as well as our life sciences customers. Sujay Jadhav, CEO of Verona Health. Sujay, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Danny. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.